The eulogy for the 2020-2021 Spartan Hoops team will read, It died as it lived, occasionally hitting shots and then getting the trots. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to Wolverines... Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined, of course, by the man who had MSU winning it all in his bracket, even after they were eliminated. Kevin Greck. Greck, how you doing? I'm a man of commitment, all right? When I say something, it that's what it is. That's what it is. It's not at all that I was hoping that I could just will an entirely different plane of existence into happening. No. Would, would you say that was a more of a... Uh, the secret sort of ethos or maybe a George W. Bush, I believe it in my gut kind of thing. <laughs> uh, it was a, you know, if I put a big mission accomplished banner up somewhere, uh, <laughs> it will just end up being a mission accomplished, right? If you build it, they will come. Uh, but here I am looking at the bracket to keep track of this Rutgers Houston game. And in fact, I see Michigan State 80 UCLA 86. So. Him. Yep. Uh, we will get into it uh, for sure. Thank you, of course, uh, for those of you who are listening in. If we could ask you the small favor, please share the pod with Spartans in your life. Uh, and of course, in addition to that small favor, a much more important favor. Seriously, people, can you please go rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts? The reviews weirdly weirdly really help and so if you could just leave a kind note for instance the person who said i'm just testing headphones right now and left that as a review <laughs> with five stars we'll greatly appreciate it yeah we're happy um, to be that headphone test yeah Here, uh here's a test of uh of your stereo it's another five stars a perfect podcasting. Rails. perfect uh, podcasting of course, follow us on Twitter at Spartan underscore pod. Uh, and, uh, and you know, feel free to engage with us there. Twitter questions, you know, banter, et cetera. Greg, uh, tell the folks what we've got in store for this episode of Can't Read, Can't Write from a structure standpoint. From a structure standpoint, we're going to flush this season down the drain. It's over. We're going to talk about what happened against UCLA. We're going to talk about what happened at halftime against UCLA. We're going to talk about potential next steps for this team as well. Then uh, there's some light football news, uh, so we'll cover that. Then we'll go off Grand River, talk about how MSU is hardly the only Big Ten team that is uh, having difficulty in the tournament right now. I think that was a take night one. It kind of got rebutted night two, and now it cannot be denied. The Big Ten uh, is showing. Has the trots. Has the trots. Has the trots. Uh, And then, of course, uh, we'll uh, we'll take your Twitter questions, of which uh, there are some really good ones. So looking forward to it. Yes. All right. So as you mentioned, uh, MSU loses to UCLA in a first four game, 86 to 80 in overtime. Uh, Greg, I, I guess let's start with this premise. We've seen this game before. Yeah. That it, I think in some ways, quite literally, we've seen this game before. It it uh, is is literally the ghost of the first time we played Purdue. Yes, it is the uh, Purdue game. Yes. 
but Absolutely. also, you know, uh, dude going off for a career night against MSU, who was maybe third on the scouting report, uh, you know, um, just uh, all, all the brilliance uh, that this MSU team uh, could have had at times. And then obviously the flaws uh, far outweighed uh, that. So um, what were your initial takes on the game? Well, Izzo said in his press conference that at times they were running some of their best offense of the season. And indeed, I don't know if it's the best, but I will agree that it was out of character how good some of the ball movement was, how good some of the shots were, um, you know, how well Malik Hall was playing at times in the first half, that there was a swing of the ball around to a Hauser three-pointer that I just thought like, this is what the team was supposed to be. I, I think, I mean, I, of course, Aaron Henry led the team in assists, but I think he had like eight. Uh, what was it? Seven, pardon me. But uh, I there was a lot to be excited about. And in fact, I thought the game was well in hand at halftime. I was very yeah. confident up until, I don't know, maybe the 10 minute mark of the second half, something like that where UCLA started showing life and MSU started showing some of its old habits. And then what UCLA tied it or got it really close with about six or seven minutes left. And then that's when I started getting nervous and then they answered. And I thought when this MSU team answered, I thought that was a really good sign, but then they'd been answering a lot lately. Yes, You know, down the course of the season. Yeah. But then there was that stretch with like the last three minutes of the game. There were a couple rocket attempted threes. There were a couple bad turnovers. There were some blown defensive switches. There was some uncharacteristic uh, lack of boxing out on behalf of the guy that dragged the team to this position against its will. So I'm not going to get too upset about that. Really? Yeah. Aaron Uh, Henry missing a box out. I mean, in this particular game, in this particular moment. Yeah. But you, (laughs) to put it all on him, you you had to get to that point somehow. And the the truth is UCLA got a couple lucky breaks going down the stretch as well. You know, you, you miss a free throw that you need, but it happens to be just like a laser rebound right back at you yes. at the line uh that doesn't and then and then there's a really good well i not really good but a pretty good stop under the the hoop and then they get a three out of it just because they get you know right place right time on another rebound i think yep so things had to happen but also msu let them back in the game make yep. no mistake they lost that game at the end what about you what anything i missed there no, uh, I, I think um, I, I think he may have said it in jest, uh, and and I'll just say, I, I'm not going to put the entirety of the game on this, but it is Graham Couch mentioned that uh, MSU seemed to get flat right around as midnight rolled around. Um, you and I were talking about this beforehand, and and I know these are you know quote unquote kids, though I I do think in some ways that diminishes their agency, but um, yeah, and they're not kids. That they, <laughs> they yeah that they say stay up late or whatever um but uh, though i think their life is pretty well structured um i I guess that's all by way of saying ucla being a west coast team 
it it was interesting to me how much MSU faded down the stretch uh, where UCLA just didn't. I mean, look um, at that Henry shot in the last shot to yeah, end the game. That like, doesn't ha- that hasn't happened all season. Yeah. I don't know that he's airballed all season. Oh my God. Were there like eight airballs in this game? By I the mean, way? Gabe Brown might as well have airballed. He just instead threw up as much as much as a brick can be a brick. That's what it was. But UCLA had like three or four air balls in the first half. I thought um, it was uh, it was a mess. Uh, but there were also there were you know some guys that played really well. Uh, well like I said, Hall played really well in 26 minutes. I don't know when the last time was that he played 26 minutes, but happy with that. Uh, Bingham, I somehow he ends the game with three blocks. I thought there was one possession where he had three blocks. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he had a number of blocks taken away because somebody else fouled, which I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that one of the problems that, um, I think plagued MSU's defense much earlier in the season. And, and this may be a consequence of it is that no one trusted the help side defense. Mm-hmm. And you could see a lot of, of overreacting because they didn't trust the help. Well, Marcus Bingham has turned himself into, uh, I mean, a great on-ball defender himself, but I mean, help side has greatly improved from Marcus Bingham. And, and so you see guys picking up those fouls and Bingham was, was there. He was ready. He had yeah. all ball. Yeah. I, I think if you took out some of the fouls, he might've had six, six blocks in this game. Yep. Uh, um, but then there was the other side of things. So like I already mentioned, Henry had the most assists with seven. I mean, Langford had three, the quote unquote point guards. I mean, Rocket had two, uh, Hogard had none. Um, oh no, Hogard had two, pardon me, in 12 minutes. But like this point guard by committee slash point forward thing where Aaron Henry does everything, including running the team in the, in the half court, it's going to wear on you. And I know that there were some in the fan base, including other people on this podcast, that didn't understand why Henry was out of the game for a key stretch at the end of the second half. But, I mean, dude is human. And like we just said, he fully airballed that last shot. Um, so, he, I mean, it was pretty clear that they were gassed. At the end. Yeah. Uh, I would say, because uh, I think I was a bit confused on some of the Henry sitting. Um, so I don't know if that was at me in particular. I, mm-hmm. I was more confused. That was a direct shot. Yeah. Uh, it, Marcus Bingham sat for stretches that I don't know how you have him s- sit. Um, and so I, I will give a hat tip to uh, Will Hunter for pointing out that uh, MSU's adjusted defense when Marcus Bingham is on the court is best in the nation. And is mediocre when he's not. Now, I think it's also fair to say, well, you you know, like you can't fully extrapolate that, right? Because other teams also have dudes who come in on and off the court. And so, you know, it's, it, it, but either way, it is still fair to say that even if they wouldn't be best, right? Against the best lineup of another team, uh, it's still very, very good when he's on the floor. Yeah. So um, I, I would point out that Bingham played the second most minutes of any game he's played all season. Uh, sure. And did had his uh, ankle tweaked. Yep. 
And uh, on that same note, I think Izzo said in his press conference that Langford might have been nursing an injury in that game as well. Uh, yep. So Something with his ankle. Now we're in excuse making mode, right? No, I, I no, I, I uh, you know, I the what I think is a little bit inexcusable is, um, it's a make or break game. Uh. There was nothing indic- that I saw out of Marcus Bingham that indicated he needed to sit. Hmm. Um, his play hadn't started suffering. He hadn't, you know, been running the court well enough. It was they were clearly managing minutes, right? And and I get it. You're not wrong about your point about the number of minutes he played. But I just I don't know how you go down that stretch, see them climbing back, and not find an excuse to get him back in there because mm-hmm. he sat on the sideline for I think two minutes or so waiting to get back in the game. Um, anyway, uh, something else, you know, I, I think you kind of started transitioning over to the, what was not good. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of the most positive way to frame this, uh, in an effort to be more positive to, uh, players. It was interesting and telling to me that for the final three minutes of overtime, it was AJ Hogard who was on the floor. Yeah. And you can't tell me if you watched the end of that game that that didn't make sense. Yeah. You want yeah. to comment more on that? No. Um, I think we'll comment on that when we get into the what are we doing for next year thing. Sure. Because um, so, no, though. Let's. I, I do want to say about AJ Hogard. Uh, he he again in this game had moments where he showed things that you can be excited about. Yeah. And, uh, so um, we'll talk a bit more about AJ in in a few minutes, but I, I do think that uh, he didn't have a terrible game. And I know everyone's on him about the not everyone, but people were upset that he took a three pointer because he hasn't made one since like Christmas. Um. I. I don't know. He he can make three pointers. That is a thing he can do. Yeah. And when he, I have not seen him take a three pointer in quite some time that he's not wide open for that doesn't have all the day is long <laughs> to shoot. It, it is clearly a blown assignment. Like even though teams are hedging off of him, it's not like what was happening with rocket where they would hedge off just to bait him to shoot. Mm-hmm. No, AJ Hogard was wide open. I I don't have a problem with him pulling the trigger on that. You you need that you need your point guard to have at least that leash. It's not like he's Marcus Bingham. Right? Am I, I wrong? Do you disagree? Go, I thought you were gonna trigger the fan base and say, like, at least this isn't a tum tum Naren situation. <laughs> um so it, it's a, you know, it's a disappointing end to the season. Um, but, you know, we made the tournament. You can feel good about how we made the tournament, I think. Yeah. Um, and this team may not be memorable other than the next time we're on the bubble. Because I think that's oftentimes when these kinds of teams become memorable. Is you're, you're like, oh, when was the last time we were in this situation? But uh Aaron Henry has certainly earned himself a place in how we think about 
you know, greats at MSU. Yes. And it may not be that he's the greatest or is even in the top 20 of all time MSU players or top 25. I mean, top 25 would be really, really, really good. So, (laughs) but, but dude dragged to your point, this team into the tournament and said, there's no way you're not letting us in. Yeah. And so for that, he deserves a place in Spartan lore and Spartan memory. Yep. So, and you know, that's assuming he's leaving. So, hey, hey, you know, uh, yeah, you know, he's never gonna have to buy another beer again. He's Lansing now after after this, you know, getting him to the tournament, almost lost the streak. Never gonna have to buy another beer again. He's Lansing now. Ah. I know that is your least favorite phrase. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about this game? I mean, I, I don't know how much value there is, particularly now that we're a few days removed in in rehashing and relitigating the game anything else from the game in particular you want to talk about other than you know the thing that is the elephant in the room do you want to do a call on the fake msu byu game that might have happened uh because i don't know if you watched any of that but byu didn't look great now mm-hmm. i'm not a perfect matchup mastermind of basketball but i didn't expect msu to beat byu until i watched UCLA BYU and then I would have very much expected MSU to have beaten BYU. So Because you know what's you know what's so infuriating is that because we should have beat UCLA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that that is that is I mean god you just this team. Ah. Oh. I I am it is I am I'm I am happy to be looking forward again. Well, Let's look back one last time before we look forward, because it needs to be discussed, especially after us willing to take, be willing to take time for what happened in the Big Ten tournament uh, with Juwan Howard, is that there is a incident going into the tunnel. I mean, I don't have to introduce it. Everyone knows about it. So the, well, the tu- some people may not. Okay. Uh, so let's just say what, what happened is at the end of the first half. Uh, UCLA made a, the longest of twos. Mm -hmm. It could not have been a longer two. Um, and it was on a blown defensive assignment on a blown switch. It seemed like, and, uh, it appeared to be that Gabe Brown blew his assignment. Um, and based upon what we've heard afterwards, it, it appears that that literal assignment was discussed. Um, and uh, so uh, UCLA ends the half with a made very long two. Malik Hall starts yelling at Gabe Brown. Then Tom Izzo comes out, also starts yelling at Gabe Brown. And Gabe Brown does some yelling back and then has decided he's done with the conversation and starts heading up the tunnel. Tom Izzo grabs his arm and is in a way that says we're not done with the conversation. Um, Gabe says some things back and starts walking and Tom Izzo is attempting to grab his jersey to say we're not done talking. Uh, A later camera view uh, showed that that argument continued all the way through the tunnel. So, Well, of course it did. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, uh, I'll leave leave it there for you. I I summed enough. Anything else you want to add color-wise to that? Yeah, so this is the second time... That in the NCAA tournament, Izzo has had an issue with a player in front of everyone and the media has seized on it. So we 
we talked about this in advance. We try not to usually, but this was a topic that I wanted to talk my perspective out on um, to make sure, because we want to be as impartial on something like this as we can be. But at the yeah, same time, there's no, yeah, there's, it's easy to get slappy and be like, it's Tom Izzo. Like, yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, if it's your guy, it's great. If it's not your guy, it's like, Oh, what is this? He deserves to be fired. You know, he's a, if it's your guy, he's a, he's a fiery competitor. He makes, you know, he gets the best out of his players and he expects great things out of them, you know, but, uh, so I, I go ahead. Save well, uh, so this. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, um, I, so I, I think there are three key things here and let's start with the first one, which is that we don't love the touching. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, in the same way that we said that it is wholly inappropriate for a, uh, a coworker to charge another coworker in a, uh, seemingly confrontational way yeah. in the way that happened in the big 10 tournament. Um, we also find it inappropriate for a uh, su- supervisor to touch a subordinate in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you can put a ton of asterisks on on all of uh, that because it's sport and there's there's some sorts of consensual touching in sport, uh, not the least of which is literally the sport itself or, you know, the ways that you congratulate people that would probably not fly in the workplace. Um, uh, but wait, am I not supposed to be slapping my coworkers butts? <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's the whole reason I want to get back to the office, Michael. Uh, so I want to be slapping some butts. Uh, so, <laughs> so butt slapping aside, um, you know, you can put a ton of asterisks on it because it's sports, but we still don't love the arm touching. Um, and I it's think the, the intent of the arm touching too. It's the it, it's an uncomfortable getting back here. It's not assault. Like for the people out there writing the pieces about how Izzo, you know, would he get fired for this if he were any other coach? This is not the same as chucking a basketball at a player's head in practice, or, or doing a chokehold, or throwing a chair, or or even a shove. I would say that this isn't even a shove. Yeah, this, we're not in the we're we're there's what Izzo did, which is a the conversation is not done here, and I get to decide when it's done, which and and using physical touch with that, you can be uncomfortable with, but it is not in the category of assault. Correct. So I I would prefer that 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 didn't happen. And and also with the Aaron Henry thing, if we're gonna relitigate that to a degree. Maybe I would prefer that it wasn't so out of control. Um, Do you think, I saw this argument out there. Do you think that Izzo is really like out of his mind, out of control? I don't. I think some of this is put on, honestly. No, uh, so um, I I think it's fair to say a few things. And, uh, you know, one of them is, is that you can look at a, a comparable, not a, not a comparable, because the, the the proof is that they're not comparable. But um, other famed, very intense coaches that also uh, that you you that people have said that what they did was inappropriate, and that's Bob Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indiana players don't talk fondly about Bob Knight. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a lot of them get real quiet after they leave Indiana or got real quiet after they left Indiana. Um, and whereas you can point to MSU and say, well, if Izzo was really, truly unbearable, we would see more transfers out. Um, you would see less alumni engagement. Uh, and frankly, not even alumni engagement, in enthusiastic love for the program and for Tom Izzo. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, you only have, you can only look at data points, right? It, when, when you, not the only thing you can do, but one of the things you can do is look at data points. And, and to me, that is, what is the engagement from alumni and, and what does a transfer rate look like at MSU? And so to suggest that Tom Izzo's out of control or is uh, bullying, assaultive, uh, you know, or um, somehow wholly inappropriate, that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense, it, particularly when you combine it with the fact that uh, he, he lets the press watch a lot of practice. Yeah. Uh, he lets the parents be really involved. Like it, it that just doesn't track to me. Um, and again, I think the way that we need to be very clear that we're framing this conversation is about is Tom Izzo wholly inappropriate and wrong versus uh, the much more narrower question of, Hey Tom, could you please? And by please, I think we pretty much are on the like, Hey Tom, you should not do that anymore. Yeah. You should not touch players. And in that, I think in you that had even context, said, like, yes, right. Yes, obviously. Yes. In that context. And I think you had even said that you're comfortable with a, maybe a, a conversation that's a bit above him about that. I mean, that's part of the problem. Like really effectively, is there anyone above Tom Izzo right now? Is Bill mm-hmm. Beekman even for a minute thinking about sitting down Tom Izzo and having this conversation with him? The answer is no, because Bill Beekman is a rube. So. That's its own problem. That shouldn't be the case. There should be someone that can have this conversation with him. And clearly it's not going to be a former player because as you were getting at, they all came out on Twitter immediately defending Izzo. So, and, uh, and I think the other thing that's worth sharing, and I think we talked about this maybe last year on the pod was the story about Rocket Watts and that Izzo had gotten into him mm-hmm. and Watts was sitting on the bench sulking and you know, Izzo was pretty much like, if you're pissed at me, call me an asshole. Yeah. Like, and, and, and so the Gabe Brown yelling back piece of it, the, the confrontational nature of it, Izzo expects desires out of his players because he sees it as a, a matter of personal growth, which is that you either need to take accountability for you screwed up. And you need to own that immediately. He's talked about that with Watts a lot this year mm-hmm. that he's enjoyed that Watts has been going back to the huddle and being like, I-, I messed up my bad. But the other piece is that if you believe in what you did, he wants you to hear it and he wants you to show the same intensity and passion for it. And then once you've had your head butting, it's all right, let's talk about it now. Yep. Like let it, it is, I think, and again, you can disagree with this style of coaching, but that, Izzo demands a certain level of confidence out of his uh, out of his players in in either being able to own a mistake or being able to defend their position. And so if you look at it from a growing in life perspective, I I would I would not be shocked if Tom Izzo made the argument that what I am helping them with is much more than basketball. 
that this is a, a much bigger life lesson that that you need to be able to stick up for yourself and not against a bully or something like that. But if you believe in something, you need to say it and not shirk from someone who's an authority figure. Um, Mike, again, he's never said that, but I would bet that that's part of Tom Izzo's process. Um, and yeah, to the, you see so many players saying this is a normal interaction and there it's been a while since we've heard about frayed locker rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 there's not enough evidence to indicate that it's a terrible place to play basketball. Well, and the other side yeah. of that is there has not been a lot of access to this team. So maybe this is a like fully frayed locker room. We don't know. Yes. But gen- I, I guess I just mean to say that generally speaking yes uh there are there are teams you can obviously point to but that generally speaking that's not been an issue and uh, you know you look at aaron henry and and him saying look this is this is how i came to be coached this is what mm-hmm. i wanted mm-hmm. and you know not to uh totally you know copy Stephen a smith who i find generally to be obnoxious but i think the point is valid valid that when a student athlete is making decisions about what college to go to it's not like people don't know who tom Izzo is. Yeah. It's, you know, and that he, it, you know, it may not be your playing style. It may not, or your coaching style. It may not be what your parents are comfortable with. And among the myriad of reasons, not the least of which is education, facilities, uh, you know, track to the league, et cetera, that you make in deciding where to go play basketball, surely who the coach is and how they coach is on that list. And so th- I, I am sure that there are people who have not gone to Michigan state because they didn't want to play for Tom. Izzo. yeah. And there will be more people who do not go to Michigan state because they do not want to be coached the way Izzo coaches. But you can look at Jaron Jackson. You can look at Draymond green. You can look at miles bridges. You can look at Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman, and all of those people who have signed up and played for Tom Izzo. And they knew full and well who he was. Yeah. Um, so, but again, going back, uh, yes, we got a little far afield there. We we agree that uh, that ideally that that would go away. Um, that we don't need to have that kind of touching in 2020. And I also some have said that like this is Izzo, Izzo is Izzo. I kind of disagree with that. I, I do think that there is room for him to change his coaching style a little bit. Um, certainly, you've seen it this year. Yeah. And and we've seen him change his play style. Like he's not running the same MSU team necessarily that he ran, uh, you know, in the '90s. So I think it can be done. I don't think this is like it's it, this is going to be Tom Izzo for the rest of his career. Maybe it will, but I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. And uh, yeah, I um, I don't I don't have much more to say on on the subject do you yeah i i mean uh i i expect tom Izzo addresses it more um mm-hmm. he was a little flip about it in the press conference which i don't know that i love but i also don't know that i would have expected any different coming off of a loss in uh, a first four game um that that was not what was top of mind uh, particularly if it really is that like this is a nothing burger as far as internally it's a nothing burger. Um, and so, but I, I do expect he will have some reflection on it and we will hear something from him about it is my guess. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so let's turn our attention a bit to next year. I, I, I think we want to do a, 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 a fuller postmortem on this season, and there's going to be plenty of basketball news to keep our attention on this. <laughs> what um, kind of basketball news are you expecting, Michael? So After we just talked about how there have been no significant transfers really from, from the program. <laughs> yeah. So if you do some math, uh, uh, MSU is probably fine right now. Yep. Uh, in that they have three players coming in and, uh, we expect Aaron Henry to move on to the pros. Uh, Josh Langford has announced, uh, in what is probably, I assume is just poorly worded, but quote, uh, or, or he said, it'll be quote, my last game for Michigan state, uh, and, game for Michigan oh, college, college game for Michigan state, which is, it's um, ambiguous yep. what that means. Um, but so that we, yeah, so we'll get to Josh here in a second. Cause I, I think we probably are aligned on this, but, uh, so that's Josh, that's Aaron. And then, uh, and then you need Jack, a third scholarship. Jack Hoiberg's right. dad is rich. He doesn't need a scholarship. Correct. So that gets you your three scholarships for the three players coming in. But there's been reporting that Michigan State has been reaching out to transfers, uh, particularly point guard transfers, particularly in the (laughs) backcourt. So uh, that does um, leave open the question of where a fourth scholarship will be coming from. And those are only the people we've heard about. Uh, Do not color me shocked if you see a big man also. Yeah. Um, I mean, so there's already been a recruit that now recruits will give reasons different than the real ones. We've already had a recruit uh, decommit because of a perceived log jam in the front court. So even if that's a little bit true, you've got to think that the guy is actively participating in that log jam also would, see the log jam. Yes. Would potentially evaluate and decide to go in another direction. So look, I think um, we can spend uh, a little bit of time. You know, it is fair to say that if, if any, if, if a lot of people, if most players on the team, if they enter the transfer portal, I don't know how shocked I'd be. Um, You know, cause you can go foster lawyer. Yep. Not shocked. I mean, I, I guess he's a bit surprising that he's a, a captain and seemingly just loves the team and loves the environment. And so maybe happy with a condensed role. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Rocket Watts, which I think we'll spend a minute on here in a second. Um, Julius Marble, uh, even though he's been getting more playing time, his dad did die over the summer. He's from Texas. It would not. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to be closer to home. I would not begrudge him if he wanted to be closer to home. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Thomas Kithier did not play a single minute. I think the last three games. No. Uh, and as far as we're aware, no injury or other outside reason for that yep. dramatic loss in playtime. So wouldn't be surprised if Thomas Kithier wanted to make a move somewhere else. Um, you know, uh, I guess I'd be a bit surprised by Hauser because, you know, you've already transferred once, uh, Malik Hall, I don't know. I mean, may not feel like he's getting the right amount of run compared considering who he's sometimes splitting time with yep. in Joey Hauser, <laughs> who's had a God awful season. And so may want to go somewhere. He can shine a little bit more. Uh, 
am I missing anyone? Uh, I don't think so. No, I mean, you basically went down the, the roster See, there. Um, I, I would be a little bit surprised. I mean, maybe you could say Sissoko. Maybe Sissoko or his family look at his progression from the year and decide that they're not interested in that. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. So so it, either way, it sounds like MSU is at least anticipating a transfer. Yeah. Um, you know, do, do we just want to say the quiet part out loud about the thing that we've been saying all, all season? Yeah. I mean, we might as well, even though we're about to feel bad about it because of the next thing that we're going to talk about coming up, uh, off grand river. Uh, mm, mm-hmm. go ahead. Say the thing. Uh, Rocket Watts. Oh my God, you monster. He's an amateur athlete. You can't just advocate for people to leave the team. God, Michael. God, you're so bad. Uh, yeah, no, I think we've seen, I, I'm him getting benched in overtime was so telling and, and, and the, the part of it that was so infuriating, I don't have a problem with missed shots. Generally speaking, I don't like it. It, it is certainly not the moment you're hoping for the, the euphoria that comes with making a clutch shot, but I don't have a problem with missing a shot. What I do have a problem with is when you run some ISO bullshit because you clear everyone out. So that you want to play some hero ball when you need to be playing team basketball. That is what I have a problem with. And that is something we've seen rocket Watts do time and time and time again. And it's always in big moments. So there's no coming back to the huddle and saying my bad because it's too late. I almost wouldn't mind him playing hero ball if he cleared everyone out and tried to take it to the hoop and either, but he doesn't No, It's always, everyone everyone knows his crossover. Now everyone knows his crossover. to step back Jay out of a crossover every time it's, uh, because the crossover is what what used to get him to the lane. Like mm-hmm. he has a great crossover, but that's all he has. Mm-hmm. There's no other move. And so, you know, it's like, dude, great. You you can create the space for your 24% three-point shot. Uh, Come on, man. High? Uh yeah, I, I think that is probably the most likely transfer to nearly almost certain right like i i would be way more surprised if we saw rocket watts again in an msu uniform than if we didn't but tom Izzo is not a mel tucker and i don't really see him running him out of the program particularly when you get the heartfelt story about the tears after the michigan game and his mom like i, I don't know do you see tom being like it's time to find a different pasture as far as i'm aware Whenever a guy, whenever a guy has been pushed out of the program, it's always been for some kind of behavioral reason. It's always been not passing the ball. It's well, uh, Corey Lucius, as I made reference last week and no one got it, um, you know, with his dressing, with his uh, dribbling between his legs, you know, he, he had to go after that. Never mind the fact that Corey Lucius loved to turn the ball over in the half court. And anyway, uh, so I I'm not aware of a single time where a player was run off the team for performance reasons. I don't think it's happened. 
in my time watching. Maybe that happened with Marvin Clark. Maybe that happened with who else was it? Who transferred right around that time? Uh, Marvin Clark is the only one that I'm remembering. There was mm-hmm. another one Bess. right around then. Wait, no. Yeah, Javon Bass. Yes, yeah. Uh, we don't really know the circumstances for either of those. Um, maybe like going back to like Maurice Joseph, like he was supposed to be the three point mojo, the three point specialist and clanged it every time. I know that he came back to campus and he talked about his time there and why he left, but I'm not recalling what he said about that. Not that you would actually give the reason after 10 years or whatever it was at that point. Um, um, I, I guess, yeah, so I don't know that Tom Izzo forces him out, but I think they, if they're bringing in a point guard and like, that's your, that's your ticket to the league. If you're rocket Watts, right? Like you're not going as a two guard to the league. Well, so you're not going as a one guard we learned this year. Well, that. Here's here's a question for you, though, is that Joey Hauser. He's not going anywhere. I mean, how do you stay in the program that long and be that bad at defense? He's not going anywhere. He right. thinks his career progression has already been messed up enough by one transfer. He's not going to do it again. Yeah, that's he's fair. not going to. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I Again, there, there, there. I think it's fair to say there are levels and grades to which I would be surprised by any number of transfers, but I couldn't say that I'm wholly shocked by a single one of them. And can you imagine how much better this team would be if it had an actual point guard? Oh my god! Yeah. If I mean, it has. I mean, just imagine what would have happened with Hauser if there was an actual point guard, and you someone could have hit him while he was open, and he could have shots and get going like imagine i mean imagine you had sophomore year cassius on this team just just that level of competence just that just that yeah that Uh, level of greatness what did gabe brown end the season shooting for three uh the answer is 47.1 percent imagine if there was someone on the team that could just get gabe the brown gabe brown the ball a little bit more frequently where he wants to be on the court you know like imagine if imagine how much better you know a season that even Aaron Henry would have had if he didn't have to worry about facilitating the offense and carrying it on his back at the same time you know yeah uh i mean and which there- is uh a worthwhile point uh to also just give a shout out to Aaron Henry and this is from Kyle Alston at uh, M Live that uh, Aaron Henry uh, ends the season in uh, leading MSU in points, rebounds, and assists, which is the first person to do that since 1975 when assists first began being recorded, and ended also only three blocks behind Marcus Bingham. Uh, so, yeah, could you imagine if Aaron Henry really only had to worry about scoring and rebounding largely, and defend obviously defending? But yeah, I mean. It would there help was Langford too. Like Langford only took one three in this game against UCLA. He should take four. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, we'll you know revisit basketball in in the coming weeks. Uh, certainly, when there's some more transfer news, 
but we got three guys coming in that I think we can safely say anyway, that even if the team loses some things next year and losing Aaron Henry would be huge. Uh, or is, it will be huge. Will be. <laughs> um, Josh Langford to degree is also a big loss. Yeah. Um, if you lose rocket at times, that's pretty good defense you're losing, but the ball movement should be better next year. And so too should the shooting. Yeah. So if you're Gabe Brown, I mean, people might think that Gabe wants to transfer after that outburst at halftime. Imagine how many shots Gabe Brown is going to get next season. (laughs) Yes. Uh, A senior that, that's six eight and last season hit at three over 45 percent gabe's gonna be getting some shots next year yeah so i don't maybe he thinks he can get even more shots somewhere else but i kind of doubt it yeah um all right well uh i guess we'll cap it here for what was a uh, you know, actually, Plum brought this up, and I think I sent something similar out as a sentiment to the tw- in, in a tweet. But um, it, as I do think it's worth saying that as um, disappointing in some ways this season was, that for a lot of people, uh, I think us included, it, in in different ways, it for everybody, the past year has been terrible, and so. I think it's worth celebrating and being thankful and mindful of a lot of the sacrifices that these players took to provide us with a lot of entertainment. And when so much of the past year, it's at times felt like you could go numb just from the repetition, uh, from a, a parade of tragedies that you may have seen in the news that, that for a little while they gave us some joy. They gave us some sorrow. They gave us feelings. (laughs) And they gave us entertainment. And so I, I just, they I think it's worth life. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth being thankful for that and saying that even if it was a, a bit of a disappointing season, it was still better than not having basketball at all. For sure. For sure. So, and uh, definitely better than not going to the tournament at all. Yes. Uh, real quick. I let's just acknowledge football. Spring football is very nearly here. Tuesday. Out. And uh, it sounds like they are going to do, so there's already been Spartan Football All Access, but it sounds like they're going to try some kind of self-produced, hard knocks-ish kind of ripoff thing that I think is kind of suspect sounding because it's not really hard knocks if you produce it for yourself. I, but here, here's the thing. I think this is really smart. There's there's no reason that they shouldn't be doing a ton of digital content. Sure. Around spring ball. Yep. I mean, it is great from a recruiting standpoint. It's yep. as you're trying to fill and sell tickets for the next year. I think that's really smart. Yep. <laughs> like you're you're building a brand. I it, there is it's almost foolish that you wouldn't do this every year. And you get to see Mel Tucker in his element instead of standing at a podium. 
Did you see the preview of uh, uh, like the the first little clip that they released? I did. Yes. Yeah. Mel Tucker coming shirt unbuttoned. Yep. <laughs> like clearly this was made for TV. Yes. He's like, oh, it's casual Friday. <laughs> yep. And then he, you know, talks to a couple of players. Yeah. Has a yep. real rapport with the guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's going to create a ton of digital content. They probably don't care how many people actually watch it on Big Ten Network or Fox Sports or YouTube or wherever it actually ends up getting released. But what's important is that it'll be on on the gram. It'll be on Twitter. It'll be in, you know, where it's for recruits, recruits are seeing yep. it. That's what's important. Yeah. So uh, I'm honestly, I'm excited for it. It'll provide us with things to talk about. Uh, and, you know, look, let's let's not kid ourselves. This is actually a spring football of uh, great consequence for the program. Yeah, it's huge. So I'm honestly, I'm psyched for football to be back. We have a lot of unknowns in front of us, but I, not in the way that like a, a D'Antonio unknown of like, oh shit, this quarterback who's really good just graduated and we don't know anything about the who's behind him. We have a transfer in, we've seen some of the backup quarterback. Like there's, there's some really compelling storylines and interest here and they're, Better unknowns than I think we're used to is, I, I guess, how I would phrase it. There's and we we look forward to covering them all summer. Uh, yes. So let's go off Grand River, but first to my man Brandon Sands. Yeah. Because guys, I don't know. Set your Google News alerts to mortgage rates. You know what's going to happen? You know what you're going to see? They're going to stay historically low, but maybe not forever. So what you got to do is you got to call my guy, Brandon Sands. You know, he's got a consultative approach. Dude's closed over 10,000 loans. Can, can you even like count to 10,000? Doubt. Heavy doubt. One. Uh, and two, he works at guaranteed three, rate. One of the... <laughs> what? Are you going oh, to 10,000? Go. <laughs> go. That's the rest of the podcast, guys. We're counting to 10,000. One, one loan, two loan, Three loan. No. Anyway, what's important? If you've got a mortgage rate that's 4% or higher, you're an idiot. Fix it now. <laughs> Call Brandon Sands or go to rate.com slash Brandon Sands. That's Brandon with an E, Sands with a Z. Fix it. You're an embarrassment to yourself. You're an and embarrassment you to your father. You're an embarrassment to your God if your mortgage rate is higher than 4%. <laughs> So fix it now with Brandon uh, Sands. Rate.com slash Brandon Sands. Brandon with the knees, Sands with the Z. And all right. Go to Correct. That was great ad read. I loved everything about that. We wrote it up just like that. I did it uh, word for word. Uh, all right. Let's head and chat a little bit about the NCAA tournament as it's been, but in particular with a focus on the Big Ten, which uh, I see here in the notes, Greg, you wrote. Yeah, I just want everyone who who cares about what Greg says that Greg said, big 10 shows its ass. <laughs> um, so Illinois is out uh, with a loss to number eight, uh, Loyola Chicago. Uh, Purdue is out with a loss to uh, the mean green North Texas school at seed 13. Uh, Wisconsin is out with a loss to one seed Baylor, which I mean, you can't beat up yeah. on Wisconsin for that. And, and then, also this is, this is live. Did, did Rutger pull it out? Yeah, while you were no, 
They lost to Houston. Oh. And I'm told in excruciating fashion, but I don't know what that is because we're live recording. They so, lost the S again. Rutger is back to Rutger. Yeah. So, hey, America, here's your best team uh, or your best conference in college basketball, huh? Uh, rough. Bad. I just, I, I think it's worth mentioning that. How oh, we didn't good- even mention Ohio State to Oral Roberts. I mean, that's, that is the, that is the madness of March that kicked it all off. And Michigan State is out. And I just would point out that how good can your conference be when several of these teams have lost to Michigan State, which uh, it, you can punch down at Michigan State if you want, but then you got to take a real look in the mirror about how good your school is. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think Rutger losing to a two-seed Houston is not insane. And likewise, Wisconsin to Baylor, although that was yeah. like not really ever in doubt. Um, but Purdue, Illinois, and Ohio State are all embarrassing. In fact, those are three of the five biggest upsets of the entire tournament, I, I'm guessing off the top of my head. It, I'm just putting two more in there because I can't name what they are. Well, Virginia uh, lost to a 16. Um, that's several years ago. Oh, I thought you were talking uh, like historically. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. talking about this year. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Talk about this one, Michael. Um, So, yeah, Big Ten not doing great. I guess that leaves us. um, uh, I can't root for any of the other Big Ten teams. I don't mind in Iowa. Why not? I don't. Mm. I mean, I spent a lot of time making fun of Maryland, but what? You know, Uh, the fact that I get so mad when I see the Mark Trojan. Oh, I get so mad. (laughs) That's for you, Dan Hillpepper. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I guess, yeah, Maryland's fine. Uh, Fran, I just have a hard time with. Um, and, uh, and and Luca, I just, that Luca, that Luca makes me so mad. Where, um, uh, where are you on watching a game from the tournament? Like, we haven't talked about this, the tournament itself. What do you think? Wh- how strictly do you root for your bracket when you're watching the games, actually? I always root for chaos. Yes, this is the so, right answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't matter what my bracket says. Am I going to root for a 16 seed every time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ohio, I, I don't know if they're still in. I'm all in on Ohio. Yeah, great. Bobcat now. Yeah, like I, I uh, sort of it, my general rule of thumb when it comes to rooting interests is with the exception of Ohio State, if you have state in your name, I'm probably a fan uh, with an adjacency to A&M. Um, but yeah, like I'll, I'll take the underdog every time. What do we think about Illinois losing to Loyola and uh, Texas losing to another Texas, another purple Texas Christian school that isn't TCU? Like those are great storylines about like, a small school in the state going out and beating the, you know, the flagship institution or one of the flagship institutions from the state. Like, Oh my God. I loved that while I was watching the mean green take out Texas. And while I was watching the ramblers. Yeah. I'm a rambling man. Now mean green Uh, took out Purdue or pardon me. Uh, the, the purple, whatever people, purple Texans. Yeah. The purple Texans. Um, Although I did also watch that Purdue game and 
they did not look good. Like Purdue was desperate down the stretch. Like yeah. Texas won that game. Texas Northern. Yeah. Uh, no. Northern Texas. I'm sorry. The mean green. I apologize. You guys. North Texas. That's the one. Uh, uh, killing it over here. But it has been a fit. It's been a weird tournament to me because it doesn't. The, the games don't feel that intense, even without yeah. the crowds, which I know are always, you know, you know, third party sites anyway. Um, but uh, it it's odd not having them, even though I've seen so many sports games now without uh, live crowds. It's weird not having it there and it feels weird watching those games. Yeah, um, I I would agree. There's there's something about the because you know the other thing is that you know people uh, buy those tickets for the day, right? Yeah. Like so, everyone who doesn't have a stake in that game is always rooting for the underdog mm-hmm. or chaos, right? Like they just you know the, the crowds will flip uh mid game just to like continue to see excitement I, I mean i um i think there is something to that missing component of this tournament of you know which is weird because i, I we're seeing some really incredible upsets happening yeah i this is one of the matter marches that i can think of and that's matter with two d's and not two T's. Yeah, that's correct. I'm but, sorry if uh, my Midwestern drawl got in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that's actually a, a really interesting point. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the lack of crowd. Cause again, normally crowds rally around the lower seed um, for, for those who don't have a stake in the game. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Kansas is always going to have their, stupid contingent but you know everyone else in that gym is probably rooting for whoever's not kansas i mean everyone in the gym uh, at Mackey was rooting for msu and it didn't matter so uh the other thing that i love watching is a game at assembly hall knowing that the ncaa tournament is happening in bloomington and iu basketball fans have to deal with the fact that I was not <laughs> in it. And you're like, the oh, we didn't even have that on the outline, man. Assembly, you like assembly hall is so iconic. It's like you, it's instantly recognizable when you turn a game on because of that, like that arch that they have of the, of the railing to go up to the seats, the flight of the seats. And every time I see it, I just, I just get reminded that Indiana's not in the tournament, but the, tournaments Again. happening in bloomington yeah and i just giggle to myself um yeah we should probably also maybe after this little bit here because i want to move on to the ohio state thing but we should mention about archie and uh patino um but so uh something that note that came out of a big 10 loss that is worth talking about for a second is ej liddell who is a hell of a basketball player for ohio state uh missed some free throws uh, in the game. And that is a big bummer. Um, And then received several direct messages on his social media platforms uh, from people threatening to kill him. Um, And police are now investigating those threats of violence. Um, 
let's just start with that and then we'll talk about the other component of this. So what do you want to say about EJ? It's not acceptable. You don't get to do this. You don't get to treat someone this way. You don't get to, you definitely don't get to treat an amateur athlete this way. You don't get to treat anyone this way. And that's it. Like the, this is not acceptable behavior and it has got to stop. I know that EJ's far from the first one to have experienced this and he's unfortunately far from the last, but do not engage in this behavior. Do not condone this behavior. This is unacceptable and it has to stop. Is there anything else that you want to add to that? No. And I think, uh, I I think the more interesting place to have the conversation though, is because, um, you know, so rocket Watts retweeted EJ Liddell's tweet where he shared the messages he was getting, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, I mean, God, like my heart just hurts for the guy. Mm -hmm. And rocket said that he thought he was the only one dealing with this and, uh, you know, said something to the effect of stay strong. And so first of all, uh, we've been, not kind about Rocket Watts's play on this podcast. And and I think we need to be honest about that. Yep. And also say that, you know, it's unacceptable to tweet at a player, to hop in a player's DMs. And it's certainly like so first of all, that's a full stop. Don't but like there's a different line then when you're when you're threatening physical violence against a player. And and they're both over the line, which is what's so infuriating about it. Yep. Um, I, I know we've talked about it, I think a few weeks back and that I was, I was sort of thinking about and struggling with the idea of, you know, being critical of players and, and, uh, and, you know, sort of what's my, what's my actual stake in an organization and, and how we talk about players on Twitter is also a platform that they use, but, you know, also kind of the acknowledgement that, why, why can't I be frustrated about a game and say that in a, in a public space? Uh, I'm not saying at a player, right? Uh, I mean, they this... are public figures and you can be critical of them. And we, we do. I think we account for the fact that they are college athletes and they are playing the game largely for free. They, I mean, they do get tuition, but I I think we account for that in our criticism. This behavior is far beyond that and entirely, entirely unacceptable. And, and, you know, honestly, if anyone listening to the podcast has a critique of the way that we've handled this season, I think we'd be happy to hear it. And we, you know, we would take that into consideration if you think that we've gone too far at a player at any time. But this is this cannot yeah yeah this we would really we, first of all we would we would fully say that and if and if and if you do actually have a criticism of the way that we've talked about players or handled it um i i guess uh if you have thoughts on how is best to host a podcast and be critical of a game um I think that's the place that I, if anything, we would solicit the, the, the advisement because I, I don't think you can host, I don't think you can host a podcast and be like, well, it was a really great loss. Like, you know, I um, love it when the team loses by 30, love it when, when Rocket Watts clears out everyone to shoot a bad three. But this um, is, this is personal. This is, yes, yes. yes. Um, and directed, directed, right? Yes. Like, 
it's it's not like I'm dropping an audio clip clip in Rocket's DMs, right? Right. And so, so anyway, it it is uh you know it is uh tragic, and as much as I would love to troll Ohio State fans, I it is n- not representative of the a, a great number of them. Um, and if you are one of the people who has um who's tweeted at a player or something to that effect. Uh, or hopped in their mentions or replies or anything like that with anything other than a go green. You got them next time. Like get out. Yeah. So, um, so we are wishing EJ the best. He is a hell of an athlete and was a real bear in the big 10 this year. And so, um, yeah, it's, I just, I, I feel for the kid um, cause he had a great season and didn't need, he didn't need that. And I, and I feel for rocket in the same way. Yes, 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 absolutely. He does not deserve that at all. No, no, no one does, but certainly not him. Yep. Um, so, all right, we have a couple other things. Uh, one, just a quick, uh, we'll maybe hold this for next week, but it is worth mentioning that VCU was the first and hopefully only team removed from the, uh, from the NCAA tournament due to COVID positive tests they theoretically had enough players to play the game, but the health department determined that uh, their increasing numbers made them too high risk to continue on. Um, just that, I mean, my heart hurts for that team, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, it and it, it, by all accounts, they were a bit baffled how it happened. Um, so, you know, that just, that just stinks. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, I feel bad for them. Um, but let's move to the uh, to the much bigger, but uh, more headline generating anyway. That is to say the women's NCAA tournament, uh, which <laughs> I already uh, used up all my righteous fury. Do you have any? <laughs> I, I do have plenty left for uh, uh, for the women's team. This is uh, something that we we should explain first. Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, um, the NCAA uh, tournament for women is occurring right now in Texas, and it is um, uh, it came to light that uh, they were not being treated the same as the men were, even and so slightly. <laughs> so uh, let let me explain the 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 three core places that um two very sort of you know apples to apples and one that uh you can use some grading and and i think we will get into why we think it's a little bit complicated but we'll we'll get into it in a minute so um the first is let's start with the the biggest elephant in the room surrounding all of these tournaments and that is covid so the women's teams were not receiving the same testing as the men's teams. And Alex would be able to explain it a little bit better than me, but I'm going to do endeavor to do my best. And Alex can correct me next week if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is to say that the women's teams were all receiving antigen testing and the men's teams were all receiving PCR testing. And the primary difference, uh, the the places that it is largely different is that on PCR testing is more accurate is the layman's terms uh, term of way of saying it. But in particular, uh, there are far more false negatives with antigen testing. And indeed, the women's tournament has reported multiple false 
positives. So it is just, it is not as good of a test, which is why oftentimes, I don't know how many listeners have had to get a COVID test, but oftentimes if you feel sick, they are going to give you two tests. One is a rapid result test, which I believe is an antigen test and a PCR test, which is a much more accurate test. Um, So that is bucket one. Bucket two is facilities. It came out that there was a giant conference room area space that was empty, uh, but for one rack of dumbbells. To serve as their weight room. And and when I say one rack of dumbbells, I mean two, five, eight, 10, 12, 20, and 25 pound dumbbells. Comically put against the wall in a giant conference room. Which, which the, the conference room is important because at first the thing that came out was a picture of the, the weight rack, which again was like <laughs> not meant for a serious, I mean, it is a, it has some validity for serious athletics, but like you need more weights than that. Um, but the, uh, the, the NCAA's first excuse was they did not have the space. So someone tweeted out the video, which is that it was sitting comically in a giant empty conference room that was all for the ncaa and of course the men have plenty of uh weight oh a beautiful gym yes uh and and then the last space and then greg i'm gonna turn it to you for comment is because i've been uh, saving up my rights fury so we're we're good to go i got yeah uh so the last space is as it relates to family and in particular children so i i think we we grade this in a gray area because we don't want to make the assumption that women are should be or you know always are or whatever the primary parent for a child um that they they it just it, it feels wrong to assume that they're the primary caregiver though i think statistically you can bear some things out on that front yeah i, but, I don't care to let the ncaa off the hook <laughs> yes so that so, we can make some kind of informed yeah. societal argument yeah there are uh, realities for some of yes. these women so so continue. Uh, 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 the, the, uh, the women's teams, including coaches, which counts as grad assistants, trainers, the head coach, assistant coaches, and players were allowed to bring their children, but those children would count against the 34 person traveling party that was associated with the team. So that means that if you had a child and didn't have care for that child or hell, just wanted to be the parent that was with them during that time, uh, you could not bring them without having to mean that someone else that's part of your team could not come. So those are the uh, the three buckets of ways in which the uh, the women's tournament uh, uh, has fallen short thus far. I believe there's also complaints about food and lodging, um, and I just don't have the research there, but these seem sufficient to say... Yeah. Uh, that this may be illegal and is certainly wrong. The one that bothers me the most of this, I think, is the testing. Uh, this is negligent. I would uh, I, again, I, I would defer to Plum. He's got a much better understanding. It would be nice, you know, to bring this back up again next week and we can discuss it further. But to me, if you want to have such a tournament and you're going to run such a tournament you need to have the resources to do that tournament and to allocate them so disparately between the two is to me 
completely unacceptable. Like you, if there, my understanding is that we have plenty of testing resources. Now there's Mm -hmm. quite a bit available now because of ramp and production and those types of things. If you are going to set out to do this tournament, you're going to ask people to go and participate in it. It is incumbent upon you to keep those people safe in that environment. And the NCAA cut a corner here. I I think by any measure, cut a corner here. And it's unacceptable to do that. It's like, I I, I don't know. I, I... I don't know what to say about it. It's like. So I don't disagree with that. You're not wrong on that at all. But it's weirdly the weight room that gets to me. That bothers you the most? Because it is as if their athleticism is an afterthought. And and I think that's. Like, you know, you could you could say. All right, these are run kind of by two different wings of the NCAA, and and one chose one kind of testing, one chose another, and 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 that is wrong and screwed up, and it, it absolutely. But missing on the weights is as if that women don't train as hard or as intensely as mm-hmm. other athletes, mm-hmm. and it's and it's and it's some built-in assumptions about who they are and what their skill set is. And not to mention that from just a health and safety point standpoint, that their their need to to train with weights and and machines and is is literally important to to being able to not only perform at their peak but also just to stave off injury. Mm-hmm. So, but it is it is the glossing over that is if because they're women, they only need some two pound dumbbells is just so insulting. Mm-hmm. And that that to me is is the, like the the deepest cut of sexism uh, that is inescapable in this for a venture that I believe earns them some dollars. It's not a zero dollar event they're hosting down there. Which yeah. also, though, I do want to say very clearly, it doesn't matter yeah, if it's a, it, they don't need to make as much money as the men for them to warrant equal treatment. So anyway, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's absolutely embarrassing for the NCAA. And, and, and I think the person who's running the women's tournament needs to resign. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, do you so, want to talk about not NCAA property before we go? Um, do you want to just acknowledge it? Yeah, so it, I think we'll do a bit more on this because it'll also t- tie into the Alston case that we're going to talk about, which we mentioned last week, uh, which the big news there is that the Supreme Court has allowed the Solicitor General for the United States to actually represent the student-athletes. So that's a big deal in a case challenging amateurism. Uh, but in a movement, uh, hashtag not NCAA property, which was started by Geo Baker uh, from Rutgers, Rutger, um, it, you know, was a bit of a complaint is which is interesting that we just spent this time talking about the women's uh facilities being so much less than the men's but that uh complaining about the the situation that the the men were put in during the NCAA tournament 
uh, a lot of the isolation, the lack of food, you know, sort of just being given body wash as a way of saying, thanks for being here um, in what is undeniably a giant moneymaker for the NCAA. Um, and so there is a, 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 a lot of players are speaking out about the, their, their inequitable treatment and, uh, Geo Baker points to things like, uh, you know, a music student on a music scholarship can sell an album. Um, art students can sell their, literally sell their final exams. English students can write books, but an NCAA athlete cannot use their athleticism to make money. And, um, all in the midst of the NCAA really trying their best to recoup dollars from last year's missed tournament. So yeah, these games are long, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The, the commercials, they're extra, right? They're long. They're long. Yeah. Uh, so, something yeah, to keep I, an eye on. Read I up suspects on. this is going to come up at some point. Well, maybe not now that Rutgers is out, but, uh, I suspect it's going to come up later in the, uh, yeah. So Nicole, Nicole Auerbacher, uh, Auerbach, sorry, um, uh, from The Athletic had a nice article on the not NCAA property. Benny was looking for a primer on it. Uh, but again, this, yes, this will come up again, and we will be talking about amateurism through the summer, which I know everyone loves our deep dives. Uh, so, uh, Greg, before we move on to Twitter questions, uh, we want to say a brief word on behalf of one of our absolute favorite sponsors, Preserved Homemade. Preserved Homemade is a goods and provision store bringing the tastes of home in the form of homemade treats. There is, I hear, a big announcement coming. Right, Greg? Yeah, huge. Get on that newsletter. Yeah. Get on it. Uh, So uh, there is a newsletter you can find somewhere for Preserved Homemade that will let you know of an announcement next week that is a big deal. You can find Preserved Homemade on Instagram at preserved underscore homemade. Follow them on Twitter at Preserved H or head to their website, preserved-homemade.com to treat yourself or someone you love to some homemade goodness. We are hoping to have some news shortly about some goods and provisions that you can treat yourself to. Uh, We know we love them. All right, Greg, Twitter questions. But before we do, we need to say a shout shout out out. time. We do. This is overdue, in fact. Go go for it. From one dad yeah. to another, please. Yes. Uh, last week we biffed and we meant to say that our dear friend slash frenemy slash enemy slash most hated Twitter questioner, Nick Kamansky, uh, you may have noticed, did not ask Twitter questions last week. And it is because he had the birth of his first baby. And so we do want to say sincerely all the congratulations in the world to Nick. Um we feel pretty confident he's going to be a rock star dad. And so uh, we're genuinely thrilled for him. And uh, yeah, so. Baby Theodore will be a lad and Nick will be a chap of a father. We all know it to be true. Does that so. does that mean his son is middling at best? Uh, I mean, you don't start out that great. Let's be honest. <laughs> like, what do they do? Babies. Like, they, they don't talk. They don't have a job. Yeah, you got to graduate a chap. That's yeah. for sure. You got to you got to work yourself out of that. And I'm sure Theodore will do that. So uh, very excited for Nick and family. Uh, that is fantastic. Can't wait to get Theo's first uh, Twitter questions. So yes, looking forward uh, to we'll send them some Spartan gear. That's for sure. It's uh, truly, though, the offseason. Uh, thank you, CT for T- and TC uh, for for just 
brooming us into the postseason because his first question this week is uh, least favorite household chore. Good God, we're there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and say mopping. Um, we have a steam mop here, and uh, you got to keep filling that thing up, and you got to move it all the time. It's just kind of a pain in the butt. I don't know. What do you, you know got? My least favorite household chore is talking to you, you old battle axe. That's, that's what I got. Next up from CT and TC. All right, we're going to have to talk about this for a second. Failing to make the 64 team tournament for the first time in 24 years while being picked top four in the conference should be viewed as nothing except a massive failure. Do you anticipate any staff shakeups? We'll get to Garvert's comment in a second. But first of all, CT and TC, there's no longer a 64 team tournament. It is a 68 team team tournament. tournament. And the way I know that is, a school in Ann Arbor likes to count as a victory, a play-in game, as you would call it, though it's a first four game from 2016. Uh, it just seems like we're being a little selective, CTNTC, but eh, let's have some consistency. Yeah. Uh, I don't anticipate any staff shakeups. As a though, I would say if this was football, it would be hard not to expect a program of Michigan State stature You know, if we were to take Izzo and transplant it to football, Mm -hmm. uh, it it would be it would be hard not to expect some turnover on the staff. And Garv adds, it's not all negative turnover. He says, Fife to Indiana, question mark, eyes emoji. And that is a rumor, though I don't expect him to get that gig. No. But I mean. Do recall, though, Dane Fife is an Indiana basketball alum. So there I is think that. actually likes Bob Knight. Um, I, I think you, I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, do you want to publish, punish Fife for the foster lawyer miss? I don't know, but either way you can't get too, you can't get too pissy at a bad offense when you don't have a point guard. So, and you can't, get pissy about the lack of point guard when you don't have an off season to turn a non point guard into a point guard. So talk to me after next year. If the offense is still stale, then probably I would expect, right? The thing about this that bothers me a little bit is that it pretends that the team hasn't been really good for the last three years with this staff. Like no one. Oh, 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 oh. Hold on, Greg, what was different about the staff that took Michigan State to the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and the college football playoff that was that was substantially different than the back half of the D'Antonio years? Well, I think we talked about this on the pod, and it's a fairish point. But that's all I wanted. Moving on. No, say your piece. Say your piece. No, I don't want to. All right, great. Uh, <laughs> next up, CT and TC going through the roster. Who do you think will be on the team next year? Well, we covered this already. I think we know probably at least one or two or three or four of these guys. Are not. Uh, what? Look, give me this. This is how I'll, I'll augment CT and TC's question. How many transfers do you think they're going to be? 
Oh, I thought you were going to ask who you who are you certain's on the team next year, or who are you most certain's on the team next year. I don't think there's that many of those, so I think that's tough to do, and I think that's something we'll discuss. But before now, because this could happen at any time, how many transfers do you think they're going to be? Um, I think less than you think. I yeah, think I think two. two. I think two. Two is exactly what I was going to say as well. A normal team, I might say three. Uh, but an MSU team, I'm going to say two. And two might be high. It might just be one. And and I think it, it, and the one that I'm banking on, or not banking on, because I don't want to see him go. To be clear, but. The one that I'm including in that number is is Julius Marble, and it's for personal reasons, not in any related to do with the team. Like it, it, I, the only one I feel confident about leaving is Rocket. Yeah. So next up from Mom Maple Leaf, Jonesy Sans Sports. Which of these three excites you? Start a sports themed book club. Get no. started on spring cleaning and turn it into a game. The gamification of spring cleaning. Wow, spring cleaning all over these Twitter questions. Uh, finally invest in that foosball table. Was, has that been on your bucket list, Jonesy? No. I tossed out play your favorite sports video game and we can agree we've already found the perfect sports podcast. Aww. That's so nice. Which of those three excites you? Book club, spring clean, or foosball table? <laughs> I mean, I went out and did some like uh, early pre-emergent weeding stuff today. So probably wow. spring cleaning. Probably. There was some light spring cleaning that happened here. I don't know. What would be, do you have any sports themed books that you would like no, to club? I, that's, that's like, it's uh, sports themed books are, this is probably going to alienate some people, but that just do not pique my interest. I, I'm not particularly engaged by a sports book. Okay. So. Uh, next up from John Hubbard, Jonesy, how does Plumfield, after approximately a year of being regular co-hosts on the show, the pod's Twitter bio still says two guys. <laughs> uh, I do think it was like literally uh, a year ago last week that Plum probably joined. Uh, you were off one week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, you know, we saw this question and we decided Alex couldn't be here anymore. <laughs> I, yep. Thank you for pointing it out to us, John. We said, Alex, you know, that's the Twitter bio. And he cried and it was uh, uncomfortable. But ultimately, I think he understands. And Yali was there to help sue them. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh Greg, how many times have you watched the Snyder Cut so far? We talked about this not knowing that this question would come up. I have not. So for those that are uninitiated, uh, Batman, or not Batman versus Superman, but uh, the Justice League film has been recut for HBO Max in its five-hour, as the director originally intended, form. Four hours. Four hours. So it's like, what, six 40-minute parts? Is that what it is? Who knows? It's so dumb. Another member of the podcast actually has started uh, watching it. I have not. What do you got, Jonesy? Uh, I got two and a half, no, two hours, 15 minutes or so in oh last God. night. Um, I would say, so I was at first annoyed that the aspect ratio was 4-3, uh, which for those who don't know, because uh, I didn't know until it was glaring, because they send you a little note that, 
this is in four three to support the director's vision, which is just so pretentious off the jump. <laughs> but, it's because of IMAX. IMAX is in in that aspect ratio. But what it really looks like is you're looking on a box sc- uh, screen TV instead of you know I'm I'm here watching because I can't get buy in from other members of my household to watch this stuff. Uh, so I'm watching on my phone. So it's just a lot of black border. Uh, I would say though it is. Um, it's it's engaging the and I I it's nice because there's sort of the chapters or parts put into it so there are clear parts that you can just sort of end at but I was two hours and fifteen minutes and I wasn't I wasn't bored like it, it's well done it's beautifully shot uh, I continue to think Aquaman related things are just bad TV am I wrong. You get what I'm saying on that, right? Yeah. I, as a guy that grew up as a Marvel guy when Batman was the only successful film franchise and the, uh, the amount of harassment that I used to get on the playground growing up, I've taken a certain, uh, disgusting pleasure in the fact that the MCU has grossly outpaced the DC extended universe. So I have some priors going into this that I need to, remove uh it's worth a watch i will say it but uh it seems to me that you know what you're gonna get you're just gonna get five hours of it is kind of what i think i i think you won't yourself up for yeah i don't think you'll have a i think you will enjoy watching it i i just i do go back to uh entourage had a whole thing about playing aquaman aquaman and that it's it was a flop a very expensive flop. No, it was huge. It was supposed to be a flop, but it ended up, I can't believe I'm here. Explaining correcting entourage entourage because I did not care for that show, but <laughs> no, it's uh, terrible. it was a huge it outgrows Spider-Man or something. It was like an oh, unexpected wow. hit. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. You, yep. All right. So, uh, Greg, uh, supports everything that entourage was about. Has, <laughs> right. uh, memorized dialogue lines. Sign me uh, up. He is the the turtle of this podcast. Um, all right, I'm next up, drama. Thank you, very Anthony much. Garvert. Prop bet of the week: number of inappropriate jokes made on Twitter about Ohio State's at Ohio State's expense due to their opponent's name, Oral Roberts, <laughs> versus the number of people who will be allowed to attend games in person at Spartan Stadium <laughs> by the season opener over under at fifty five thousand. <laughs> I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. Oh, man. Do you see uh, Oral Roberts still in the news? Still in the news, by the way. Why? Uh, uh, They have defeated seven seed Florida. That is live as of 20 minutes ago. Uh, So uh, keep those inappropriate jokes rolling, Twitter, because Oral Roberts is in the Sweet 16. Uh. I'm taking the over. I'm buying a fully packed Spartan Stadium in the fall. I don't know that's what's going to happen, but I have to believe it at the moment. So they they keep up in the attendance uh, attendance allowances at places. So yep. that's exciting. Um, with MSU's basketball season over, this is also from Garbert, uh, and spring football on the horizon. What hobby are you going to take up for the next month to pass the time? Well, as a Twitter crossover event, I'm going to get that foosball table finally. 
finally invest in that foosball table, apparently. For Mama Maple Leaf. What about you? What do you got? Uh, I mean, this is my hobby, right? So I like, I don't know. Can, can we uh, cut that? That's pathetic. Uh, <laughs> I'm going backpacking. That's what I'm doing. Yes. Yes. Uh, next up by Raymond, Raymond Chains. Chains by other names is what I call them. Uh, did you know the women are still in the big dance? We did. Jonesy. Yes, they are playing Monday uh, at 6 p.m. So t- so the day you're listening to this, um, they're playing Iowa State. So yeah. uh, if uh, if you if the thrill of March Madness only is with you when Michigan State is in it, uh, it is worth watching. That is on ESPN. Um, or one of the ESPNs anyway, I believe. Uh, next up from Raymond Chains. Can we have two minutes of every podcast set aside for you guys to laugh like Beavis and Butthead? I'm going to pass on this one. (laughs) Uh, Did you watch Beavis and Butthead growing up? Uh, I did not, but I watched it when it got uh, rebooted. Really? Yeah, and I remember laughing very, very hard at it. Uh, I think... You needed for us where we were at. I think you needed to have an older sibling to watch Beavis and Butthead. I think we were just a little bit yeah. too young, and you needed to get like pulled up to it. Yes, but I would agree with that. I know, uh, I know what it is. Uh, I know, I get it, like culturally. But I don't think I've watched much or any Beavis and Butthead in my life. Uh, next up by Raymond Chains uh, this week. Yes. On Behind the Scenes with Tom Izzo, the halftime you didn't see is how Choke slams Gabe Brown and rips off his shirt, yelling, I still run this team. That's and how he just, said. And it is Izzo. Heads to Iron Mountain, <laughs> seeking the pasta and book backwoods meditation that will restore him. He has a transcendentalist trip back to Iron Mountain. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. I, I, I can just see him wearing that tattered shirt as he drives across the bridge. Uh, you know, the wind through his hair. Sure. Know, trying to reconnect with his roots, getting himself a pasty. Um, Maybe going to mine some coal in Iron Mountain. <laughs> uh, no, he'd have to go over to Kingston for that. I'm sorry. Um, as long as he puts Gabe Brown through a table, that's all I care about in the show. Very slime. WWE style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, last from Raymond Chains is Izzo's stubbornness the very beginning of his downward trajectory or are his strategies more long term than we think mm. um, we touched on this but we did yeah. I, I don't know that I don't know what it, well there was there was some lineup stubbornness this year I mean was any of that that shocking no. though I mean it went on longer but there was less preseason so I think Izzo just has a bit of an internal clock about when to shore up the lineup. And he just didn't account for a shorter season this year. Yeah, I, I don't think this is a downward trajectory. I I think that this is a blip, but we'll find I mean, out. What, we, went to, we went to the final four how many years ago? Three? Exactly as few ago as it is possible to have gone to the final four. Yes, and then so. it very well may have been last year. MSU is the Ken Palm reigning national champions through fake bracket projection. There so. you go. Uh, next up is Mark T. Meemark. 
What's your favorite song that people think is patriotic, but actually isn't? For example, Born in the USA and Fortunate Son. I mean, Fortunate Son is the one that's like, well, I guess Born in the USA is the most obvious. And Fortunate Son is what I would have said. But for me, given that those are off the table, it's Keep on Rocking in the Free World by Neil Young, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, all three of those are are songs that are regularly played by uh, political candidates that the artists would not support. And by just terrible bands. Like, how many covers of Keep on Rockin' in the Free World do there have to be at this point by just, like, the Hot take. Neil Young is hot trash. Ooh. He straight up ruined a Pearl Jam concert for me. You do explain. Share it with the audience. We're in the off-season. Go. Uh, It was 04. Um, I saw Pearl Jam in Grand Rapids one night and then the next night in Toledo, they were playing with Death Cab as part of a, a concert series that was raising and money for Death Cab didn't ruin the, oh, the show. Death, don't even start with me. They're great. Um, oh and take. so bad take anyway, um, this is right after uh, Transatlanticism came out by Death Cab 2. It was amazing. Oh uh, anyway, um, so Neil Young and Peter Frampton I no showed one, up. Oh, now I do have interest in this. Yeah. Continue. Showed up in Toledo. And um, <laughs> so at some point in time, both of them make their way on stage. Eddie Vedder goes backstage forever as Neil Young proceeds to do a 20 minute version of rocking in the free world, wherein he sounds definitely drunk, uh, and, and so engrossed with himself that at one point in time, uh, the bassist Mike McCready had to say, by the way, Peter Frampton is here. (laughs) Like, that's how about Neil Young, Neil Young was that at a Pearl Jam concert with Death Cab to raise money for John Kerry, that like he had to be interrupted to say that Peter Frampton also was there. I cannot stand Neil Young's voice. I think his music is garbage. Uh, And I think uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash was better before Young was added. Okay. Well, we'll we'll do a group listen to some uh, crazy horse uh, in the non conference season. Uh, so that's it, uh, Jonesy. Other than getting it wrong on Neil Young, uh, that no one cares about your whole all of that garbage. Uh, what do you think on the season? Uh, anything? Any closing statements? We were wrong. We had a lot of reason to be optimistic, but you know, the most obvious thing should have been right there in front of us. And we, I was not we, that wrong about this, by the way, whatever. I didn't expect this team to beat BYU. Continue. No, so. no I'm talking like beginning of the season. Oh yeah, definitely. We were wrong then. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? That's okay. Uh, it, it, it is, it is worth remembering how good we've had it at Michigan state and you're going to have years like this and the streak was kept alive. And that's all that matters um, sometimes. And so uh, until next time, Greg, go green. 
Good luck exploring the infinite abyss, Michael Jones. Death Capitalos.